Children's Church. Thank you. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Read it here in a moment. So this is a great little letter that has a lot packed in here. And... Right, 20 years after the resurrection, Paul's writing to new Christians. Here's how you follow Jesus. And one of the things he starts by introducing and saying, why should you listen to anything I, I say to you is because I'm a pastor who loves you, who's willing to suffer for you. And that, that's really what we're going to look at the next couple of weeks, is, is what does it mean to have a pastor and be pastored? And what's the pastor's goal? Because that, that's how Paul thinks as he starts to... Uh, Love this church in Colossae, and every, everywhere he goes, this is his attitude. And so let's, let's read this. This is God's Word. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 2-5. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to you and I in love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would speak to us today uh, to speak to our fears, speak to, speak to our faults, speak to our stubbornness, our pride, and, and build our faith. And as you speak to us, speak to us in the good news of the gospel of Jesus that we might know today even more the riches of glory of having Jesus with us and in us. So Holy Spirit, come and enlarge our hearts so that we might walk in Jesus' ways, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Paul here calls himself a minister of the gospel. He says, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And it was brave for me to do, but what, uh, what, what words come to mind when you think of pastors? Who do you think of, apart from the one talking to you right now? You know, as we're, we're going to talk about the importance of being pastored, and, and this is Paul's resume for why you should listen to him. 
Uh, one of the fallouts of living in a secular age is that people do not like to be pastored anymore. They do not trust pastors. Uh, I mean, just, just Google trust in pastors. That's what I did this week. Right? It's not good for my self-esteem. <laughs> right, in 2018, this is a, a poll, only 37% of Americans view clergy in a positive light. Right? Half of the church, of those who show up every week, regular churchgoers, 52%, consider pastors trustworthy. A little bit higher said they're honest and intelligent, but if you, you don't attend regularly, you, you're more likely to think that pastors aren't honest and aren't intelligent. <laughs> somewhere around 27 to 30%. Right, I mean, just, just let that sink in, right? That those who do not regularly attend church, I mean, this is a relational thing. You can see why this would work, but they don't believe pastors are honest. As those who represent Jesus, who speak the truth in love, called to speak the truth in love. When it comes to making big decisions, only 13% of church attenders ask for pastoral wisdom and counsel. Often. Most Americans, it's rare or never. And so I share all that not so you feel bad for me. Um, it's, it's just saying, like, right, this, is, this is America and this is the secular world in which we live and the average person doesn't know how to be pastored or doesn't want to be pastored. Right? We're a bunch of independent sheep, afraid of the shepherds. And so if that's you... I think we're in good company. This is why this letter is written. Paul is writing to pastor them. He's trying to be their shepherd as an apostle, sent by Jesus to love them. And, and part of the reason he's writing, he's, he's trying to say, this is why you should listen to me when I talk about Jesus, is because there are, there are other pastors in Colossians that are coming and claiming to have spiritual authority and, and telling people, all right, there's, there's some really good teaching that will help you be mature. Keep the laws, keep Sabbath, keep feasts. You know, if you want to be mature as a Christian, these are the things you must do. Disconnecting it from Jesus. Or if you want a full religious experience, uh, you've got to get mystical. And, so, and it disconnects it from Jesus. And part of what this letter is written is to pastor this little church, to, to care for new Christians, to convince us and convince them Jesus is central. Don't turn your back on Jesus. When you walk with Jesus, you, you never leave the gospel. But here, in verse, as he's, he's, shifting, um, he's shifting the conversation and say, here's why you should listen to me. Here's who I am. Here's, here's what I think about you. And here's what it means to be a pastor. Right? So why should you trust Paul? Why should you listen to pastors, trust their counsel, their wisdom, their preaching, their teaching? You know, what expectations should you have? Right? We'll talk about this next, next week, but people's expectations for pastors are, we, we have expectations. We'll, we'll leave it there. Right? So let's start with this. What is a minister of the gospel? That's my first point here, if you're taking notes. And you look at verse 23. And verse 25, it's, that's how it describes what a pastor, that's how Paul describes himself a minister of the gospel, and a minister of the church. And that word minister in the Greek, diakonos, is just, it's the word we get deacon from. It just means servant. Like, like a, a waiter who's going to go wait on your table. Right. So a, a pastor is a servant. 
And at this point, it's hard not to remember Jesus at the Last Supper, who shows us what servanthood looks like in John 13, where John shows us Jesus, the perfect servant, in slow, beautiful motion. And just, just listen to this. This is a picture of a servant, a picture of a pastor. It's, it's Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, this is the Last Supper, right before he died, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. You should do as I have done. You've got humility. You've got love. You've got service on your knees, willingness to wash dirty feet, hands smelling like whatever was on their feet. It wasn't good. Right? This is slave work. It's menial work. It's something that no one volunteered to do. There's a reason that it's at the end of the meal that Jesus is now washing their feet. It should have been done at the beginning. And the way John talks about Jesus' servanthood, I mean, you can tell, because he's written this later, that he has had a long time to just think about, what does that mean? And he specifically lists seven actions. Seven is the number of perfection and completion and fullness in, in the Gospel of John. Right? He rises from the table. He laid aside his outer garments. He wants you to see this. He takes a towel, he ties it around his waist, and then he pours water into a basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And then he wipes their feet with this, that towel. Right? A minister, a diakonos, a servant. That's, who, that's what a pastor is called to be. As Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And that, that's really what a pastor is. That is their chief job description. You are a servant. Right? We're not CEOs, uh, motivational speakers. We're not spiritual fixers. Um, we're not religious activity organizers. Uh, pastors are servants who have been first served by Jesus, been made clean. Right? So Paul here... That's what he says, a pastor is a servant of Jesus and the gospel and the church. Epaphras, the guy who started this little church, he too is called a minister, a minister of Jesus. So a pastor is, is your servant, sent to you by God for you. And so Pastor Jim and I and your elders and anyone else who will serve here at Hope Church long after we are gone, we're part of Jesus' shepherding administration in the new creation. Right? He's, he's moving people around to care for his sheep. He, he sent Epaphras to Colossians. He, he appointed Paul to speak to the Colossians. Right? It's verse 25. You know, Paul is a servant, a minister, according to the stewardship of God given to me, to Paul, for you, in order to make the word of God fully known. So a servant of, a pastor is a servant who's been trained by Jesus, who's been specifically molded, shaped, prepared for that job, given talents, gifts, knowledge, character, life experiences, uh, firsthand knowledge of Jesus and the scriptures in order to serve the church. Right? 
Even though some of this is familiar, it's good to say it again, to refocus. Paul, the apostle, all that training he had in the scriptures before he became a Christian, that was because Jesus knew he was going to knock him down with his grace and appoint him to serve. All the training I've had through being a pastor's kid, of going to Christian college, of serving in the mission field, and all the movie, all that stuff that just makes me me is part of God's stewardship given to me for you. Same story with Pastor Jim. All, all of his life experience, training him to be a shepherd. Right? Gifted by God in order to give to others. That's what a pastor is. And that's what they're for, in order to make God's word fully known. And it's such an interesting connection because fullness is a theme in Colossians. What will make you full? What will fill you up as a spiritual person? And, and a full religious experience, according to Paul, is that you would know the scriptures. You would know Jesus whom the scriptures are written about. So pastors here to help fill you up with Jesus. So pastors are servants of Jesus and sent to the church, and you kind of get this idea, right, that uh, this is not a picture of a pastor sitting on a throne, but on his knees, uh, modeling and, and imaging for real people in real time and real space the humility of Jesus, making it personal. Right? And I know as soon as I say that, and when you think of pastors, it's not hard to think of pastors who fall far short of that model. That's how I felt the whole time preparing. Um, right? Servant leadership. My favorite non-biblical bad leadership quote is from The Office. Uh, Michael Scott. <laughs> Would I rather be feared or loved? Easy. I want both. I want you to be afraid of how much you love me. <laughs> I've shared that a few times in the last couple of years. But we all know people and pastors and leaders who function that way. That, I, that I'm scared you don't like me. And that affects how I lead. I mean, even the past week, I, I heard of another high-profile pastor removed from his position because he didn't model this. Someone who wrote books on how to do church well. Which is another way pastors serve. They serve through leading the way in confession. Uh, leading the way of repentance. Right, so if we want to know what is a minister of the gospel, just keep that word in your mind, in your head. Pastors are called to serve you, to, to be servants. Servants of Jesus and then servants of the church. Now, here's Paul's argument for why we should listen to him and why the Colossians should listen to them and, and really why we should today, too. I think it's still just as powerful. He says, I serve you through my suffering for you. I suffered for Jesus and for the church. So how do pastors serve? They serve through suffering for the church, for Jesus' body. Look at verse 24. This is probably the most difficult verse in the, in the passage. But Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Right? On the one hand, it's beautiful pastor who's willing to suffer for you so that you will be made well. But it's also weird. What a weird, strange thing to say to somebody you haven't met face to face. Right? And then you got that other question, what, what about Jesus' suffering is insufficient or lacking? What's missing that Paul is filling? Right? Who does Paul think he is? 
Right. I mean, so I'm just going to slow this down and we'll, we'll, we'll work through this. But the big idea, if you get nothing out of this, is that pastors are called to serve the church through suffering for the church. It's true. Elders, that's what we're called to do, to be shepherds, modeling Jesus's suffering for the church. Right. Serve rather than be served, be wounded rather than wound. But if you look at Christ's afflictions, you start with Jesus. Paul says his afflictions were lacking. Is, what, is that true? What does that mean? And you can start by saying, what did Jesus do in his flesh? Well, in Jesus' physical body, he died for the church. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. The creator of all things in his flesh by his death reconciled you to him so that you and I might be holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Um, Everything about Jesus in his body from birth unto his death was an act of affliction for the church. It's Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. I mean, everything about Jesus' life, his afflictions, were so that for the church. It was a tribulation in his body for your sake, in that sense of... He came and suffered as we have suffered. But the big point is nothing in Jesus' suffering, nothing was lacking in his suffering to make you right with God. Right? That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not, you are wholly blameless and above reproach in Christ Jesus. That's already been said. How can you get more blameless than blameless? You cannot be seen by God as any more than you already are in Christ. You're not any more radiant in Christ than you are right now. That, that, that doesn't change. Jesus' suffering doesn't need to be added to. Right? So there must be a different aspect that Paul's talking about. So let's, let's look at Paul for a moment. He's saying, I suffered for the church, for the sake of the Colossians, and he was happy to do it. And so part of what I think Paul's getting at is, is there's a shape to the life of the Christian and pastors in particular that's going to look like Jesus suffering for the church. That, that sounds like Paul's talking about himself in Isaiah 53 type language. Right? I'm going to carry things so that you don't have to. I'm going to share in, Jesus, in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings, he says in Philippians. As Jesus was wounded for the church, that's the pattern. I'm going to be wounded for the church. That's what you see in Paul's life. Okay. I mean, do you, do you see that? It's, 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 a really, it's a principle of Paul the pastor saying, I love you so much that I'm willing to take the hit for you. And that's what happened in Paul's life. I mean, if you know his testimony at all, the Colossians, not all of them are Jews. That's part of the mystery he's blown away by, that God would include all of creation, and reconciling them to himself. And Paul suffered so that would be so. He suffered so that the outcasts would become full participants. Right? The reason you and I um, are not culturally Jewish right now is because of the work and suffering of Paul the Apostle. Right? I mean, just listen to what he went through. If Paul was standing here, you could physically see the wounds that he carried for the church. He said, Paul, and this is 2 Corinthians 11, if you want to read it. In your, but he says, you want me to boast? Here goes. I have far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's also the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. <laughs> it's quite a resume. So I think what Paul's saying is that when I suffered for you, the Colossians who I haven't met yet, he said, I've suffered so that you would be Christian, so that you would know Jesus, and that you non-Jews can be just as Christian as the Jews. And for that to happen, Paul suffered rejection, slander, criticism, physical abuse. I mean, Paul must have had a body that was, he just looked like hard, you could put it that way. But he says, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to suffer for the church because Jesus is worth it. So why should you listen to Paul, the pastor, when he corrects doctrine? When he tells you what to do and what to believe? Because he suffered for you already. <laughs> As Jesus suffered under death. It's, it's similar. It's not, it's not redemptive suffering, but it's for your sanctification so that you might grow and, and, and be like Jesus. So you might be mature, as he says in the text. And so that's where I think Paul's getting at, is when he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Uh, there's places in the Old Testament that says the church, God's people, when the Messiah comes, there's just a whole pile of suffering that has to happen before all things are made new. And Paul is saying, you know what, I am happy to pay my part to suffer for the Messiah. I am filling up that appointed suffering for, for Christ. He already did that. I'm doing it now here on earth so that people might know Jesus. And if you read book, the book of Daniel in chapter 7 and 12, that's what it says. There will be tribulation. That's the word used for affliction. There's tribulation. And because we're so loved by Jesus, you know, we, we call it Jesus' suffering because he suffers when we suffer, when we suffer for him. And Paul says, I am glad to do it because Jesus is worth being made known. Right. So you want to apply this to pastors. It's just saying, here's the job description, the resume for every minister of the gospel. Be ready to suffer for Jesus and the church. Because in order for, for you to stay Christian around people who don't believe in Jesus, in order for you to shepherd sheep, right, just expect this is going to be hard. Right? It has a sh I'm called, I call this sermon gospel-shaped pastoring because it's a pattern of going down into suffering, dying to yourself so that others can rise into maturity and faith full of spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's why I was crushed this week. I mean, this is tough. Right? The pastor doesn't just teach. He's willing to be inconvenienced for your sake, to be persecuted, to be willing to take the hit so that you would mature, right? so that you would know how rich you are in Jesus. That's, that's the purpose. That's the whole reason Paul can celebrate, because it's going to make you mature. Pray for us. 
as pastors. <laughs> look, look at, look at the, the point here. He says, To them God chose to make known, this is the mystery, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, in order to present every person mature in Jesus. See, pastors suffer to make Jesus known to you and in you to help you understand this world you now live in. That's the point. When that happens, when all goes well, right, we're talking about the ideal, of course, when the pastor is a faithful servant of Jesus and the church and the gospel, part of what this is saying is this is Jesus loving you through Paul, through your pastors, because it's making God's love tangible. He sent that person to you in that moment when you were alone. So I'm preaching to myself, preaching to the session, preaching to you. I mean, these are the things to expect. Expect a pastor to be sent by Jesus to serve you by suffering with you and at times for you. All so that you would understand what the gospel is. For me, so part of how, how I experience this is one of my pastors and mentors and bosses, I didn't realize until after I left of how he would take hits for me, right? Of, of my friend Mick when I was a youth pastor, right? Kids would do crazy things. We would, we would do crazy things in the basement and it wouldn't all get cleaned up, right? For, for whatever reason, we'll, I don't know why, but there was a strand of spaghetti just stuck to the wall. <laughs> These things happen, <laughs> right? I never heard an ounce of complaint because... The pastor who loved me was willing to, to take that hit for me. That's just one simple idea. He's willing to listen to someone else complain about my, my lack of cleanliness. <laughs> but when someone forgives you, when your pastor forgives you, you're experiencing what it's like to be forgiven. That's, that's part of pastoral care. Pastors serve through suffering. You go through here, Paul also says what a, what a minister of the gospel teaches, right? A pastor is a servant, they serve through suffering, and they also serve through teaching, right? They teach and warn so that you would not lose Jesus. They want, we want you to know Jesus and stay close to Jesus, right? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. This takes wisdom, but the goal is to present everyone here in this room mature in Christ, and that's what, that's what Paul is laboring for. That's what he's struggling with, all of God's energy working in him. Right. So some of this you know. Pastors teach. This is the visible part of what I do during the week. They teach with wisdom. How do I present the truth that you'll hear it and understand it? Oh, that takes wisdom. Uh, right? I do get to talk about Jesus every week. This is one of the joys I get to teach. But it's also toil. I mean, it takes... It takes time, it takes hours to, to put all this together, to, to teach the scriptures in a way that is understood and helpful and true and trustworthy and, that's what I say every week, give it in love. To teach the full word of God, as Paul says. Right? There's a reason we talk about the Old and New Testament, because all of it is inspired and, and useful to teach you, which means I'm supposed to talk more about me and my preferences. Sometimes I fall short. I'm sure I do. I just, rabbit trails happen and I should have said no and I didn't. <laughs> but the point is, make known to you how great are the riches of the glory 
of being included in God's plan of salvation. It's a mystery. It's a mystery, a secret in the sense of that is now made known. It's a mystery in light of when God said in Genesis, this is for all of humanity, when you're in the thick of the Old Testament, you're wondering, what about, what about everyone else? And now it's clear it was all about Jesus. Right? So every Sunday is designed to show you and show me that, that following Jesus means there's more treasure to be found. There's another room filled with treasure. Christ in you, in this particular trouble, this particular, particular trial you are in. Right? But it's not just about you. Right? Paul wants to warn and teach not just a particular group of people, it's everyone. Right? He's already used lots of alls, all of creation. Jesus is in charge of everything. Right? So it makes sense where he said, I care as an apostle that everybody in the church, universal, everywhere, would be, would be mature in Christ. Right. Present everyone mature. That's my job description. Which I think you should pause here for a moment and hold out hope for yourself. Right. Paul's expectation of every Christian is that you can and will be mature. For all of your own sense of... Uh, I don't know what it would be, despair or beating yourself up or saying, I'll never be like that person who seems so mature, <laughs> right? Paul's saying that there, there is a trajectory that you are already on, that, that the pastors are called to mature you in Christ, right? And so the pastor's main job description, I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it, it I'm not primarily here to fix your problems, right? I can't. I'm not Jesus, <laughs> What Eugene Peterson says, my job is to help, help, help you see Jesus operating in your lives, help you connect your experience to God's word and the gospel so that you could see how wealthy you are even as you suffer. That's it. That'll make you a mature person. We also get to talk about uh, Christ in you, but also the hope of glory, right? <laughs> There's an assurance there. Hope is an assurance word. Don't, think, don't just think this as, I, I hope somebody will do something good someday. No, hope is a certainty of what will happen in the future. Right? It's about the hope of glory that you and I, everyone in this room, will arrive mature in the new creation, welcomed by Jesus without blemish, finally without sin. Which means what my job description is, what every pastor's job description is, is to get to know you and say, hey, let's go talk about death because you are going to die. Are you ready for that? I mean, seriously, let's go get coffee and talk about what you're afraid of, what your, what your hopes are, and, ha and do you have a hope of glory? I mean, real glory, glory that lasts. What you're hurting, I mean, pastors are called to be in the mess, to smell like the sheep. When you say, Oh, Lord, how long? Don't say it by yourself. Um, call a minister of the gospel to be with you in that. Right? The elders want to do that. Right? Because we can't fix it. We're just going to come in and cry if we need to cry. Right? Pastors also admonish and warn. And, all right, I'm a, some people are better at warning and some are better at teaching. <laughs> <laughs> right? You don't want to be too eager to warn, but, but this is part of being a pastor. Warn you when you're 
theology is going awry when, you're, when your morality is, when you're just doing the wrong thing. It's parenting. Right? A lot of times you're saying, this is what you should be, and then there's times where you're saying, don't do that, because that's going to destroy you. Right? Sometimes I'm going to, I'm sure I've wimped out on this. I should have been more clear, more blunt, or more forceful. So forgive me for that. And, and I know my own temperament, so this is me talking to you as your pastor. Sometimes I'm going to say, I need time to think about that, because I just take a while to process. Um, but, which can help in the long run, because then I don't say foolish things off the cuff. Right? But part of the reason we can warn is because this is true. Right? So Paul is writing to warn. That's part of this letter. We uh, tell you if you do that, that's going to harm you physically. If you believe that, that's going to harm you spiritually. Think about it this way. Paul and other places will say, you and I need sound doctrine, which is both life and faith and practice. Right? We want healthy doctrine. When you go to the doctor, you want the doctor to command you in order for you to be well, right? assuming he knows what he's doing or she Say, so command me, Lord Doctor, for I am not well. Tell me what, what I must do. I mean, that's the pattern of a pastor who's like a physician, who wants you to be healthy, who wants you to be mature, and can tell, because of God's stewardship in their life, when something is going to harm you in the long run. Right? So we talk about truth and theology and, and how to think and say that's just not a helpful thought. Sometimes they're going to tell you that's just immoral and wrong. Jesus said so. And that feeling you feel, well, take up your cross and follow him. It's not going to be comfortable. But I'll be with you through the journey. But if you take what the doctor offers, so to speak, if you listen to your pastors, um, the core teachings of the gospel, the pastors that are being faithful to the scriptures, the word of God making Jesus known, Right? The goal is that you would have a firmness of faith in Christ Jesus. That's 2.5. The gospel. That's, that's Paul's whole point, is may you know Jesus, may you know him well, and may you stand firm in that faith, and don't get distracted. And the pastor is here to help you do that. So, let me ask you, is this the kind of pastor and person you want in your life? I mean... Some of this is saying I don't have a category for it because I've never experienced it. Right? We get to learn together. But a, a pastor is a suffering servant who loves Jesus, preaches the gospel, teaches the Bible, and warns you and loves you enough to tell you no. To say that's not good because Jesus said so. So at this point, I'm going to say like Paul, pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for your elders. Pray for anyone who would become a minister of the gospel. To be bold, to be faithful to trust these things that we're called to teach. Because right? every pastor is a walking contradiction, a sinner and a saint as well. And that's, that's part of the, the hard part of this job. But the, the comfort for all of this is at the end of, end of chapter 1, in verse 29, Paul says, this is my goal, to, to hand you off to Jesus, mature, holy, blameless, and above reproach, still believing, but I work with God's energy working through me. It's his strength that's going to help me do this. Because I can't do this on my own. I mean, this, is a, this is astounding. It's a servant who's saying, I am here to tell you how to live, 
but I can't do this on my own. I'm weak. I need God. It's both confidence and humility. So, this is the point of teaching, of warning, of loving, of spending time with you, of pastoring you, is to hand you off to Jesus and to, to, to work as God's representative in your life. And I know I cannot do that. The only reason I will finish this race and finish it well and, and not fail <laughs> miserably publicly in front of everyone, crash and burn out, is only if God works through his pastors, through his servants. It's the only job description where it says, you work really hard, but you have nothing to do with the, benef- with the results. It's God's work. But it doesn't mean you get lazy because it's toil, it's struggle, it's work. So, do you see why Paul rejoices in his suffering? (laughs) For you? Why pastors are willing? There's a purpose. It's parenting joy. When you see someone believe, when you take that moment and you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take those first steps, and I'm just so happy to see that this happens, that the light bulb came on. Right? When our kids just start talking, they're just being human. But we've been teaching them for two years. That's where Samson is right now. It's really fun to hear him talk, to make progress. Right? So we rejoice with him. When our kids forgive without us asking, we rejoice at that, that act of faith. And we point it out. That, that's part of why Paul rejoices in his suffering. Right? Until those moments, we, we suffer because we deal with their anger, their hurt, their frustration. But when they turn around and say, I forgive you, That's a celebratory moment. Therefore, Paul celebrates. He rejoices in his suffering for the sake of the church. (laughs) Because his joy is Jesus' joy. Let's conclude this way. Pastors are servants. They're suffering servants. They're teaching servants. They're servants who are called to warn. Uh, Can you follow Jesus without being pastored? Can a sheep survive without a shepherd? I mean, I'm sure you could survive. But the picture here is that you're not going to thrive. Orphans can survive on the streets in horrific situations, but what they really want is to be parented, to be cared for, to be loved. And so when I hear this and I'm coming at this, I know we live in an age that's allergic to pastoral authority, and I wrestle with when do I speak, when do I listen, I get that, and we also understand there are pastors who completely blow it. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Nobody wants to be pastored naturally, which is why you have to come back to the gospel, because that's what Jesus did. He, he butted into your life, whether you wanted to be shepherded or not, and laid down his life for you so that you could, would want to be shepherded, to be pastored, to be ministered to. My heart, your heart, everyone in this room is like Peter at the Last Supper. You remember what happened? The most beautiful picture of, some, of ser- hum- humility and servant leadership is the creator of all things getting dust and manure on his hands as he washes his disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, don't do that to me. It should be the other way around. To the perfect pastor. I'm good, I don't need help. Right? And so part of what I, I would just leave this as a, a gentle but firm um, application of saying one of the ways you love Jesus is by letting him shepherd you 
through the, the ministers around you. Through other Christians, too. It's not just me. This is meant to be contagious. That's, that's part of the rest of the New Testament. Right. Jesus, of course, said to Peter, unless I serve you, you will not have a place with me, which is his way of saying, unless I die on the cross for you and make you clean. This is a symbol. You, you will not have a part, but, but as you have received, so bless others. And I, would, I want to encourage you to think about it this way, that it's an act of love for Jesus to let yourself be served by a suffering servant of the gospel. It feels humble to say, no, I don't need help. But the whole core of the gospel is everyone saying, I need help. I need served. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. And that's, in the, that's the whole pattern that we get to repeat and repeat until we see him face to face. What will that look like? It's, we'll see. I mean, it involves time spent. It involves uh, vulnerability on all of our parts. It involves a willingness to forgive 70 times 7. It involves all of us resting in the Good Shepherd who laid down his life for us. Right. We'll talk more about pastor goals next week, but just... Just let yourself rest in that thought. You, you have been loved beforehand when God sets up a local church in order to, to pastor you. And he, he sends men and women to serve in that, in that congregation to work together to make sure you get to the end. That's the joy. That's the goal, to present you mature in Christ. And so pray for us that we will be bold, we will be faithful, and that Jesus would make himself known through what we do every week at the church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your servants. We are all servants, ministers of the gospel in our particular world, but thank you that you help us think, you help us get to know you and make, make your love personal. And so I pray for the elders of this church and the local churches all around Saratoga County, Lord, may they believe the gospel and, and, and think about ministry like Paul, willing to die to themselves so that the sheep might be well. And as these things happen, we ask that you would grow us in faith and in maturity and, and love for one another and love for our community. And so, Lord, we, we again stand here and say thank you for your grace uh, that, that continues to do more than we can ask or imagine. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.